Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create a real presence, and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence, and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Meet Trina Sunday. Trina has over 25 years of experience working in HR, organizational development, and marketing and events management. She's worked in the UK, Asia, and Australia and uses her unique experiences and networks to generate and apply new HR thinking. Trina has global perspectives and partnerships, a love of Cambodia, coffee and champagne, and her business Reimagine HR is all about helping people experience happiness and high performance at work. What I love about Trina is her no-nonsense, down-to-earth and real-talk approach to life. I am beyond pumped to have Trina on the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast today. Let's dive on in. Trina Sunday, thank you for joining me on the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Claire. How are you? I am fabulous. I am so thrilled that we have finally got the opportunity to jump online and record. I know every time we catch up, we're always like, we need half a day to just (laughs) before we actually talk about the topic that we were supposed to talk about. And that is what I love about you. You're authentic, easy to have conversations with and cut the crap, which is one of my favourite things about working with HR practitioners. So today, as you know, we are going to have a bit of a conversation around entitlement. And when I reached out to you about this topic from, from my world, it was because particularly recently I've had a few um, HR managers reaching out to me, the clients that I work with or just people I'm connected with saying, you know, what is happening at the moment? I feel like all I'm dealing with are entitled employees, entitled leaders, how do I navigate that, etc. So, we're going to talk about that today and I'm keen for your perspective from both a a HR professional, a leader, a leadership expert, but also what you're hearing and seeing with some of your clients as well. But before we jump into that, I have read a little bit of a bio about you already, but for anybody who might not know who you are, give us a little bit of insight into who is Trina Sunday from Reimagine HR. Who is Trina Sunday? That's a that's the biggest question, right? I'm trying to find myself. Um, <laughs> I am a mum, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a friend, all that good stuff. Um, I am obsessed with travelling the world and all things aquatic. So whether that's sailing, scuba diving, paddling, avondescence, the whole thing. Um, but I d- have spent, you know, more than 20 years working in HR and organisational development after having a early career in marketing and PR and events. And so I've segued into HR like most HR people um, without planning um, and not growing up that dream. Um, but this is where I am and I love it. And so I, um, you know, have reimagined HR as my HR consulting training business. But then I also happen to be a soccer mum 
and I own a soccer academy, which is very random. And so it's an interesting topic today because I, I feel like I'm looking at it with lots of different lenses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want. We want broad perspective. We want different ways of looking at things. And I love the variety in just, you know, obviously what what you bring to the entitlement conversation is great, but I also just love the variety of hobbies and interests and roles and jobs that you play in your world. I'm a big believer that everybody has a story. And so I definitely know from the conversations that we've had before that you have got one hell of a story. What I also love, um, and you said this sort of before we hit record, is that you kind of just love to blow shit up. So, <laughs> tell it, like not literally for anyone concerned, but <laughs> tell us a bit about what that looks like in your world. So, I guess it's come from like, and it's probably why I started my business as well. Like there's this, uh, I was really disillusioned with corporate HR and nearly, God, it's only 10 years ago now, kind of left life on the terrace and moved to Cambodia to work for a not-for-profit as their organisational development manager. And that was an organisation that, you know, essentially took impoverished kids and turned them into tomorrow's leaders. Like, they changed lives. And and I, you know, then started to have this experience where I was working with leaders and employees and I was getting real-time feedback that, oh, my God, you've changed my life after running a leadership development program or you know, and by the time you get back to your desk, you've got this and it, it it became addictive, but it's also that time that I spent living in Cambodia, living abroad, I just got exposed to so many different influences and some of the biggest kind of multinationals sending all their corporate social responsibility people to Cambodia, like big people that I never would have got to meet mm-hmm. in, you know, in Perth. And there was this different way and, you know, because I knew that what we were doing in HR wasn't working and I knew that myself, similar to all of my colleagues, were fatigued, sick of banging our heads against brick wall, were frustrated, didn't feel valued. And so, there had to be a different way, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when I came back to Australia in 2018, nothing had changed and I didn't want to stay in that inertia because I'm built to make a difference, right? And so, slowly and, you know, I was trading under a different business name then and then rebranded in 2020 to reimagine HR just in time for this little thing called the pandemic. (laughs) Um, But it's like, and that's when I personally started to kind of really want to blow things up because there had to be a different way. And my thought was the subtle, some of the subtle conversations weren't working, you know, like the have you tried this or have we done, you know, and so whilst the word disruptor and disruptive is quite alienating for some people, it's like if we don't do something to shake the tree, nothing's going to change and we really need to change because business has changed, society's changed and we're not keeping up. So, that's what I'm showing up to do. Yeah. And so, what kind of shit do you blow up? (laughs) (laughs) It's like when when I go in and I run – you know, like when I do my HR breakthrough experiences and things like that with HR leaders and with teams, it's like, so if you could throw out the HR rule book, you know, what would you ditch and, you know, and try and free up thinking and, and things mm. like that. And so, so it's things like, you know, um, and my industrial relations specialist, if anyone's watching, um, you can come for me in the DMs, but, you know, it's like things like probation, for example, it's like we create this space like, 
do away with probation. Like how many people do we actually sack on probation? It's a tiny number, yet we hold this fear over people for like three months. Um, managers don't have the conversation. We don't even automate a process to say, oh, your probation's over. Like it's this big, oh, was that it? Yet we've created this three months of fear for people, which is not a great experience when you're joining a company. No. Um, you know, so we create that. And then we have these performance management processes where it's like, stop doing them. Um that upsets HR people when I say that. But where I come from with that is it's like, do we have a more resource-intensive process that we spend our time on that adds such little human Boom. return with no conversion to actual productivity and profitability? Um, and most of the time it's no because we're going through the bureaucratic bullshit as opposed yeah. to really leaning in around the things around feedback and growth in real time that they're not annualised conversations, right? And so, you know, those kind of things make HR people sometimes really uncomfortable because the process gives us some control and consistency and um, reliability in terms of both what we bring to the table and perceived value that we add, but also relevance. But I think that's where it's misguided, right? That's what I'm trying to blow up is create relevance by adding value to the business conversation as opposed to creating processes. Yes, I love that. Particularly around the performance review pace, I think it's so outdated. I'm not saying there shouldn't be some form of it, but it needs to be relevant, real. People need to believe in it. It needs to be co-created. The leaders that are actually leading those conversations need the skills yeah. to be able to have those conversations regularly, consistently, all of the things that yeah. that you um, have touched on instead of just this once a year tick box exercise where I've been on the receiving end of those before even as an employee and you sit down and it's just like, oh, what's on this sheet? What do we need to fill out? Should we just tick that? You sign, you sign. Okay, cool. Well, I'll get that back to HR. Yeah. Manager's not prepared. Shift the conversation a lot of the time. Save up all these things for that because they don't have the courage to yeah, have it. So, so Whilst I can be inflammatory by saying, do away with it, don't do it. Obviously, there does have to be something to help us guide, coach, support performance for our workforce. Absolutely. But I think it needs to look fundamentally different. Yeah. Yeah. Love the challenging of thinking around how we can continue to do things better, whether whether it's for HR people or whether it's for leaders to just continue to think about how we can do things differently. So, let Let's take the lens now to this entitlement piece. So, as I said before, this I just I decided to do an episode around it because I was starting to just get regular commentary from some of the HR people that I either work with um, or come into contact with around them seeing a lot of this and feeling like they're dealing with this inside their organisations. When I probed um, these individuals about what that meant for them, it was a lot around dealing with employees that just um, were continually asking for salary increases or felt like they were overdue for promotions when their leader or the HR person didn't feel like that was timely or relevant, whatever it might be. But when you think about what entitlement is inside organisations, like what comes up for you? So, lots. Because um, I think it's pretty complex, right? Mm. So, I think, I think we try and make it really easy by giving it a label. So, I feel like most things we do, so entitled employees has now become a label and it's mm -hmm. a thing and it's getting legs and, well, more legs. 
um, centipede probably. Um, but I think that it's so we know that entitlement by definition is essentially privilege without merit, right? So people wanting to get the rewards and the returns without doing the work. So there's a few things for me with that though. And one of the things that really frustrates me though is also that that often gets applied to millennials. Yes. Um, so one of the things that is a is quite infuriating to me is again this generalization and this stereotypical stuff. And especially when I hear it from HR colleagues, for example, because it's like we are built to not do that. Mm. You know, we are we are. Well, maybe we're not built for that actually because we're all built with human bias. But our role is to advocate for that. And so, um, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing in the entitlement space is no different to what I see in other spaces. And that is behaviour that's being perceived in a certain way. And then we're attributing it to a cause like, oh, they're just entitled because that makes it easier to kind of process. Where for me, at the core of it, you know, like entitlement often comes from people not having, you know, not delivering on their obligations, for example, and that kind of thing. It's like, well, do they know what those obligations are? Um, you know, so one of the biggest things like, you know, chat GPT will tell you, um, you know, would be like clarity of expectations, but it's also how do you reward, um, you know, that kind of thing. And But for me, the biggest thing at the crux of this is it's effort. So one of the things that I find interesting is that entitlement comes from someone else's, someone putting a judgment on their perception of whether you've done enough or put in enough effort to get that reward. What I see is, especially generationally, there are bits of this, and I'm challenging my own stereotypes. Um, <laughs> come, come at me. I like to get feedback on my own for my own self development, but it's like, you know. What if different areas of our workforce, sometimes younger, others, have a different way of working which gets the outcomes and is more productive faster without having to work as hard? Is that not a good thing? So the more effortless the work might be and if there's a savviness around how they might digitise or automate um, some aspect of work and they get the outcome, but the perception might be from Joe Blog sitting over there in the corner cubicle well, that person is not there all the time, they're not working hard enough, or they haven't earned their stripes, so they don't deserve that promotion yet. Where if we look at it from the outcomes people are producing and whether those outcomes deliver what their obligations are, then that shifts the whole conversation. Where for me it's this big grey area, black box of perception, miscommunication Mm. and a lack of transparency, which we then say entitled employees they're ruining our workplace because it's India right yeah yeah I think I I love what you've said I think you've narrowed it down and and put it into something that makes perfect sense and challenges all of us really well right because like what I'm hearing from you and you're spot on is we we hear something from somebody I'm making a request or we we see something we add our own bias to that based on our own experiences and then we kind of want to box that person into just being difficult. And it's funny because even before I jumped on this call with you, I was reading an article and it, the title was literally like how, how, to, how to deal or how to how to manage entitled employees. And in big, bold font, 
big bold font, the sub heifer was something like, don't hire them to start with. <laughs> it's like, well, there's so, there's so many things to that, but, but to me, it comes down to having the conversation first and foremost to understand exactly what you're, what you're saying around like unpacking what are the, what is the outcomes that that person is achieving, is capable of achieving versus what it is that they're asking for. If we can connect as human beings and try to understand all of those things, then we're in a better position to make the right decision for them to get the most out of them and support them, which in turn enables the organisation to get what it needs for itself too. But I think yeah. you're right. We like to, if it feels uncomfortable or, or the other thing that I see a lot of and hear a lot of, even even from um, uh, friends sometimes, is I did it tough like I, I had to hustle, I had to grind, I had to do all of the the shitty work. So why why aren't they? And that think, approach to leadership. And I think that's at the core of it, right? And this is where I've done a lot of self work to realise that this was a belief system that I'd been yeah. raised with. So I was always told um, positively, with positive intent, that if you work really hard, you'll be successful in life. So my whole life, I have this belief system that yeah. I have to work really hard. Now, there's a continuum, right, between working yourself to death and people who are inherently lazy. Now, I work hard, but there's working hard and there's working hard, and people have different perceptions of what that looks like. Yeah. And that's a challenge, right? Like, And I think, should I have to work that you know, what does that need to look like? And so when I'm talking about that, it's like, do I really have to work a 60-hour week to earn that reward when that's just for face value? Because actually I can deliver the outcomes in my 40 hours. Yeah. And I want to go home and see my kids, walk the dog, go to the gym, go for a swim, whatever your thing is, right? Um, you know, that balance, and this is where I think generationally there's a big shift because the belief systems are changing mm. from generation to generation because the examples that we have in the home are different. The, you know, and so I think that a lot of that is something that there's not a consciousness for leaders that they're taking that into how they lead teams. And I think for HR, it's also inherently complex because we've inherently had this parent role, right, where we, Either with a nurturing parent that looks after our employees, and or with a um, disciplinarian that's like reprimanding them for not, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's about helping people to grow. And as parents want to help people grow as organisations and as mm. leaders, if our intent is to help people to grow and to learn and to flourish, then they'll be able to perform more and higher, right? Mm. And I think that we've kind of lost in there because of our own experiences, lived experiences of, yeah, but they've had it too easy. I've had to work 20 years, like what I had. And then I'm like, I don't want to go back into in-house corporate HR. That's one of the, well, I can't blow things up and not get in trouble. But, um, you know, like, but it's one of the reasons I'm not wanting to go because I want to be in charge of the way that I work, how much I work, how hard I work, because there's other things in my life that are important to me. And it makes mm. me sad to see those people that have slogged it their whole life 
to retire and then, you know, not have the retirement that they dreamed of. And so there's lots of people that cling to that, I'll work hard and then I'll have the life later. Most of our workforce doesn't look like that anymore. We've got such a diversity of workforce with ethnicity, um, you know, where we are with ability, where we are with age, you know, there's so much diversity um, that, you know, entitlement's built around this notion of fairness, right? And in Australia, I think that's a really interesting conversation that we're sometimes too scared to have because we pride ourselves on the fair go. You know, we like to, sorry for like really leaning into my slang there, like <laughs> for international audience, but, um, you know, so this fair go and fairness, entitlement and perceptions of that hinge on that a lot as well. Yeah. But if we look at it really with the lens that we should, cre- we don't really create equitable organisations and organisations are not necessarily fair for First Nations people or people with disability, um, you know, um, it's, you know, so how do we then create a fair, even playing field for people to be able to perform and deliver with yeah. merit to then have the same reward and advantage as everybody else? And I think that there's often that entitlement thrown at some of those groups and marginalised groups in our workplaces as well where it's like, but there's a work effort that has to happen because we've systemically built systems and processes that don't create a fair go for some of those people. No. And so it adds another complexity and layer to the entitlement conversation from yeah. where I'm sitting. Yeah, definitely. I am sure you are loving this episode, but I just wanted to pop in, say hi, and remind you that if you or your organisation is looking for coaching programs or workshops to ensure that you can retain engage and motivate your top talent then reach out to me i am just a phone call away now let's get back to the episode and you touched on um expectations earlier as well around you know how do we kind of manage manage our own expectations manage our expectations of others the organization or teams even knowing what their expectations are at all and then being able to communicate them. So what like what impact do you think that has around, you know, where where this idea of entitlement can go wrong? And when I say wrong, I mean in the sense of that ultimately somebody or all parties are feeling frustrated because they haven't felt heard, seen, understood because of a lack of understanding around expectations. Like what do you see there? Um, honestly, I see a widening management leadership gap. Yeah. Um, so I I think it's at the core of everything. For our organisations to perform and be high achieving, um, high profit, you know, productive, agile, innovative, collaborative, all that good stuff, we need to have a constructive culture and we need inclusivity Um in our workplaces. Now, if we tackled the culture and inclusivity element with inclusivity being a magic bullet sometimes for culture, it sounds like a magic bullet, it's the hardest thing to achieve. Um, And people feel like they belong. um, Often all the things that help get that outcome are things like transparent communication, setting clear um, expectations around job performance standards, 
um, you know, role delineation, task clarity, all of that good stuff, like people being clear on, you know, the espoused direction of the organisation, where are we going, what are we doing and why? Mm. And so for me, entitlement is exacerbated or the judgement of people being entitlement it can be addressed if we didn't have such a disconnect between purpose and what we're showing up to do every day. Yeah. I also wonder how many managers, particularly middle managers and leaders there are, that, you know, I kind of feel for these people the most inside organisations because they're kind of the meat in the sandwich a lot of the time in that they're managing the, the you know their direct reports and their employees and they're trying to manage their expectations, provide clarity, support, etc. Yet often they're also the people who don't have that clarity themselves either. Yeah. Around where is the organisation going? What actually is the vision? What part am I even playing in it? And then how do I translate that to my team? And yeah. so I find because I do I have I have to say when I when these conversations come up. Um, or I kind of hear, hear bits from leaders, they're often at that middle management level where I find the frustration tends to bubble over because they've got missing gaps in information and they're trying to close gaps for other people in the information that they have as well. So, I think it comes back to the problem you were talking about earlier as well around like transparency and the communication and culture and all of those things colliding and ultimately permeating through yeah. the whole organisation, not just at the top level. And it's easy. I love what you were saying before around, you know, potentially managers, they, they know their expectations in their head or they know information in their head, but they forget sometimes that other people don't know that too. I think that is even more incumbent on the more senior levels inside the organisation. To, to, if you feel like you're repeating yourself about the vision or the values or the culture, repeat it more. Because there is never too many times, I think particularly at the more senior levels, that they could be talking about that stuff to continue to help close the gap for middle management so that then they can continue to help close the gap for their direct reports as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. Permeates the perfect word too. It's culture to <laughs> traits all over. But I think I fundamentally agree. I think that middle managers are in the no. pressure cooker, right? They're in the pressure cooker of responding to the demands for performance above without being equipped, empowered or enabled to be able to manage the workforce underneath to deliver on that. Yeah. And so I think that we have elevated a lot of managers based on their technical expertise. This is not new to most people um, yeah. without then giving them the support for how they're going to grow in their management and leadership. Yeah. So people leaders, in my observation, are fundamentally set up for failure at the moment and if we were looking at culture with the lens that we would yeah. leadership is one of the critical levers right communications are the critical lever for culture change there's many um it's not just values behaviors and so i think i had a physical reaction when you were talking about the values and and vision mm -hmm. and going mm -hmm. the light because so many of them are rubbish yeah and so i think that this is where execs have to show up mm -hmm properly and with purpose around getting away from this fluffy wordsmithing that has no meaning. And this is the thing around culture. For me, it's about storytelling and it's about, um, you know, different aspects of how we bring the way we do things around here to life. The stories, the words, the, you know, the posters on the wall is not what 
gives people clarity on expectations. Yeah. That stuff confuses people most of the time in my world yeah. and people question its relevance yeah. and they don't understand how it impacts the work they do. And that's the challenge for managers and leaders and we're not giving them the grace and the skill and the tools to be able to do that well. And I think that's magnifying a lot of the issues. From yeah. Where I'm- yeah. I actually think it angers people even more. Like when you've got those words on the wall or on your coffee cup or on your flipping T-shirts and- <laughs> The, those behaviours are, are, yeah, yeah. are not happening. I just actually think that makes people even more frustrated and angry because it's just it's just not at all genuine. And they're sitting there in these meetings, looking at these looking at these behaviours occurring that are completely opposite to the thing that's sitting up on the wall opposite them over there. Yeah, and that just creates even more confusion, more frustration, yeah. and probably feeds even into again this bigger this bigger conversation around entitlement. So it's a, you know, for those people listening and they're probably sitting there thinking, okay, well this is great, but what do I do? <laughs> this is a huge topic. How do I kind of navigate it? And so I've got I've kind of got two, I guess, practical questions I, I would be keen to get your thoughts on. The first would be, the first is around sort of what around employees, because we don't we want to. We want employees to be self-reflecting as well, but then also a team leader question. So, in terms of employees, what do you, you know? We do know that there are situations, probably, and this comes back, I think, to the expectations piece. But I have experienced situations myself where, relative, as an example, relatively new employees have been there maybe two months or so, and they're up in your office saying, "Okay, I'm ready for." for a pay rise now, I'm ready for a promotion now, like I want I want what they've got kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so what would your advice be for employees? And so the one part of me loves the aspiration. I think there's a lot of good that can come from this. They're, they're motivated, they're engaged, they want to grow, like there's some good stuff here. But what mm-hmm. advice would you have for employees on how to best manage themselves around yeah. their expectations? Great question. Um, I think, you know, for me, I think there's some self-reflections at the core of it, right? And as humans, 90% of us are shite at it. We are terrible at self-reflection because we don't have the tools and the habits to do it well. And so, um, I have talked before about personal boards and things like that and what I mean by that and I believe that every employee because if you have this you get a sense check on where you're sitting and you get to validate your own judgments and beliefs before you go in to have a conversation with your manager and so there's two things with it I think the conversation needs to change as well so I think a personal board is essentially having a core group of people around you that are going to help set you up for success professionally right you might have someone so I'm on lots of boards, which I feel is a personal boards for people as a privilege, as like a HR mentor, for example, or, or a coach. And then you need someone that's a cheerleader for you. You need someone that's a connector that forms relationships. You need, you know, somewhere on the, that's a wellbeing um, support for you, you know, like this core support system, right? Because that can help keep you grounded and you have safe people around you that you have the trust with who can call you on your BS. I believe for employees, to be as successful as possible, you need a safe group around you who can go, Trina, 
no, I'm not sure you're pitching that where you need to go. Like, just take a step back, have a think before you go in kind of all bullish to a conversation. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is then you want to go into your manager's office, have a conversation, say, I see that Jane over there, unlikely Jane, probably Joe, um, Joe over there is getting 30K more than me. Um, I would like that too because we're doing the same job, right? On one hand, that is a relevant question, right? But I think it's from an employee perspective, I think employees should understand the perceptions of entitlement, like learn about it, like, and from this and this other references, like, um, you know, to understand that. But I think the key for employees is to know how to have a conversation, to go into a manager and say, I'm really passionate about growing in this organisation. I believe since I started two months ago that I'm further ahead than where I was before and that I'm adding more value to the organisation because of X, Y, and Z, I feel like I'm doing more than when I started. I'd like to get some feedback on how you are perceiving my performance and my merit and whether I'm hitting the mark. And you ask that question first before demanding. So to jump to the reward without validating the effort, perception of effort um, or output is where the entitlement label lands right because in that conversation the manager is not following that thought process because they have you've missed that validation step so i think the conversation needs to be built around you position yourself like and strongly assert it like i'm you know because i admire the aspiration too but back it up then with delivery so it's like i aspire to be over here I feel like I've already made some really great inroads and I'm further ahead. This is the value I've added and I've streamlined this. I've collaborated with these people. I've built some networks we haven't had in the team before. We've actually managed to cut, you know, 80K off our budget thanks to this process that I've started. I'm really enjoying what I'm contributing to the team. How are you seeing it? Get that feedback first before you ask for things. Yes. That would be mine. on. If I I was nodding anymore, my head's going to fall off. Out, out, spot on. And that's where it goes wrong. It comes down to preparation of the conversation and then going in from the lens of the person who's hearing it, not just the lens of what you want. So, like, perfect. And then on the flip side of that, right, if you are the person on the receiving end of that conversation, so if you are the manager now who's receiving that request, and, and even if they've done it in the way that you've just said, Right, they've yeah. done it. They've actually done it really well. Yeah. But you know, or you think you know, as that manager, that they got Buckley's chance. In my, this is just the writing narratives that could be going through the manager's head. They got Buckley's chance of getting that increase, yeah. or that manager is thinking what we were talking about earlier: their own biases, their own baggage is coming up around. They've only been here for a couple of months. Like, who do they think they are? Right, it might be running through. What advice would you have for them on how to make sure they manage that conversation well? I think um, I think there's a couple of things for me, but one sounds wanky, so it's trying to look at how I make it pragmatic. Um, so I kind of want the wanky version. Well, it's emotional intelligence. So the gap, and it's it's becoming a canyon. Um, in my observation, it's you know. We, if we have people that are new to an organisation or younger, often the entitlement assertion is put onto those people first. Yeah. 
um, because of the not earned their stripes, the not being there long enough to get more award, right? Because we all know that you have to be there at least 12 months before they'll even have a pay conversation with you. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, but what if they pitched the REM wrong when they hired and you know that the person that started last week is 50K higher than you then because the market's changed, but that's a whole other podcast. But I think the for a manager, I feel like there's this massive – and HR can only do so much to try and build, like we can try and enable transparent communication. We can try and, you know, build processes that do create space for this conversation, feedback and all that good stuff we talked about before instead of formal processy performance yeah. management. But unless a manager has the insight and the emotional intelligence to put this themselves emotionally in someone else's space, to understand, to validate the feelings, to... Um, hear where they're coming from, you know, using I statements, you know, and this is the thing where it can sound wanky, but actually they are habits in practice that when learned, um, you know, and people will scoff at, you know, um, programs like how to have courageous conversations or how to have difficult conversations. If you get good insights um, as part of that and not some course online where you are not actually being challenged, put it into practice because you never will. Yeah. If you watch an online thing on, sorry to anyone that's got online content around having a difficult conversation, but no one watching that video is going to take that information um, and manifest that seamlessly into the next space. And this is where I think that coaching, it's not leadership development, it's not training. We'll do both of ourselves out of business in a minute if I keep talking. Um but there are there's elements of the ongoing application around these skills and habits that I think is the key. But I think the thing is, an advice for managers is just it's that pause, right? And we are uncomfortable with pauses as humans, and so when there's silence, we like fill the noise with more words, and we don't create the space just to be, huh? I wonder what the hell in our minds were like. Who the hell do they think they are? They've been here for five minutes. Like, you know, we've, um, but I think that's the challenge. Again, it comes back to self-reflection, right? Yeah. Like it's, okay, these employees come to me with a conversation. What does that look like? And for me, for managers, I think it's about challenging. If you're going to self-reflect, it's looking at your own intent. So if your intention is to help people grow, which is what good leadership is, then you will receive that conversation with grace and want to understand more. But then the growth opportunity comes from education and sharing more and communicating more information to help that employee to understand what your position might be. And so it's like, rather than cut them off, it's like, tell me more. (laughs) The three magical words, tell me more. Tell me more about what you think. And then when you're like reacting, you're going, are you kidding me like was it it's like oh, it's really interesting like i want to process that um give me time to process it but here's some immediate thoughts because otherwise it's a cop out right you're copying yeah. out of the conversation and no one respects that like you've got to show up to conversations and be prepared to be uncomfortable yeah and the only way managers are going to do that is if they practice being uncomfortable mm-hmm. i purposely put myself in situations where i'm uncomfortable and have difficult conversations, not always recommended or ideal, but but there's growth that comes from it because that's where you have someone share a different opinion that means you're learning something. Where if it's just me talking, I know all the things that are in my head. That's why the words coming yeah. out. Of- but I think, you know, for me, for a manager, it's around specific 
observations and specific feedback around that entitlement and then helping the employee to understand the impact on team. So yeah. if there is entitlement, that will flow through to the culture and morale of the team and often can create conflict. So people need to understand the consequence. They need to understand the behaviour that's being observed, but don't make an assertion of why they're behaving that way. What you're seeing is a certain behaviour and then ask them, like, what's that about? Talk me through it because this is the impact it's having on the team. What do you think is going on? Yeah. And create that space for sharing. Um, Inherently what happens when you create that space is then an employee will often go, huh, well, I didn't realise that that's what the obligations and the standards were. And this is the problem with performance management. If we saved that stuff up or even probation for three months or 12 months, you've got this disillusionment that happens for the employee that might be coming across as entitled and for the team around them that are being impacted by their perception of their behaviour. And so I think there's a lot in this leadership management space, though, around AI, emotional intelligence, EQ, around you know, how you actually bring that to life in habits and practices mm-hmm. that you have. And I feel like there's a lack of um, skill there and it's impacting. And I also think it is the best investment organisations could make because improved emotional intelligence across all, every single person needs it. It helps add value to every single relationship. And there's a what's in it for me because it's going to help you at home as much as it's going to help mm. your business or in yeah. the workplace. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for me, I think it's that that space. And then if those managers had their personal board, then they'd be like, so I had this tricky conversation today. This is what the young upstart came and said to me. This is what I did. And people are like, huh, have you, did you ask them where they were coming from with that? You yeah. know, like, and again, if we have this safe group of people that can help expand our thinking around workplace challenges, relationship challenges, then it gives us different perspectives to look from. And I think that's what we're missing. Yeah, yeah, could not agree with that more. I think sometimes when we engage in these conversations or we choose not to engage because we we psych ourselves out about how it might go, we make assumptions, I often observe that it's because people think that they have to agree. And if they don't agree or they don't think they agree because they've not investigated enough with the information they avoid, Whereas being able to have these conversations is to demonstrate to someone that you see them, you hear them, you understand them, but you don't have to necessarily still agree at the end of it all. And I think that's where, where I love what you're saying, and I think that's where people get caught up. So, I great. I wanted to kind of round it out with a bit of a practical, you know, both lens in terms of, excuse me, in terms of like leadership and then in terms of, an employee perspective as well, and you've nailed both of those. Awesome. And, <laughs> and this listeners is- can give me feedback on that. <laughs> well, that is a perfect segue to my last question for you today, Trina Sunday, which is how can people get in touch with you? What is your social media um, choice? What is your how, how was the best way to get in touch with you? I think for me, I'm I'm a big uh, user of LinkedIn, but I mean, um, reimaginehr.com.au is where you will find us and we are launching a new website soon that's got some cool stuff on it. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to bringing that kind of um, to the table in terms of, you know, resources that 
that we're sharing. Um, but often on LinkedIn and for people reaching out, I think it's one of those things as well. I love expanding my networks, um, not necessarily fluffing it with sales and business development people, but for people that are wanting to lean in and grow, um, I'm really open, right? And so I think that there's, I we have um, obviously a Reimagine HR page on LinkedIn, but also me personally, Trina Sunday. But I think I would really encourage you um, if people do reach out to me to leave a comment so especially if people are not working in the HR space or in leadership or, you know, I do a lot of work with um, women and girls. I do a work, lot of um, work with people from impoverished or disadvantaged backgrounds. I do a lot of work with – so they're not people that will naturally be professionally aligned to me, but it's like drop, drop a one-liner around why it is that you're reaching out so I know how I can, you know, help in yeah. that network as opposed to just blindly – clicking um because i'm here to help people and i'm here to serve others and i can only do that if i know kind of what people need and so i'd encourage people to to do that and um subscribe on our website so they don't miss out on what's happening next yeah brilliant i think that's great advice for anyone if you're going to connect with somebody on linkedin leave a note just don't click just the connect button it's helpful to connect Properly, but it also gives us really good insight into what is it that you're curious about and that you want to know. So, thank you, Trina, for joining me today. As always, I love your humor, I love your honesty, and I love that we're always able to just get to the heart of the issue and talk real talk. So, if you've loved what you have heard today, please get in touch with Trina. If you're loving the potty as well, be sure to leave us a five star review. But that is it for us today on the In Your Cake 2 podcast. We'll see you again very soon. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here and I am always so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake 2. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you would leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. You are doing it. And remember to back yourself and what you have to offer. Hey there. Thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. The first way is through my game-changing Transform Your Career six-week accelerator program. This six-week online program is for busy professional women who are ready to regain control of their career and leadership once and for all. Go from feeling like just another employee to an in-demand asset in your company. Stop feeling lost, stuck and unmotivated and instead feel confident, worthy of earning more and armed with the tools to go out and get what you want. The Transform Your Career Accelerator cuts the crap and gets right to the key levers that you need to be pulling to ensure you are seen, heard and noticed at work. Add to this an epic group of like-minded women all coming together to share insights, learnings and to build a new network along the way. If this sounds like something you need, then join the waitlist now. The link is in the show notes. 
The second way you can work with me is through my private one-on-one coaching program, where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. My six-month private programs are for you if you know you need tailored coaching and guidance now. You want a container of space and time just for you to work through your exclusive and unique goals. You don't want to wait for the waitlist in my other programs because you know you want access to my brain and my experience all to yourself. If this sounds like you, then book a free call in my diary today and let's chat. Lastly, if you want me in your organization to come and share my tried and tested knowledge with your team on how we can all collectively elevate our own leadership and career success, then jump on my website and download the services info pack or grab it from the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.